Hello and welcome to another edition of the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric, and I'm joined by Theo. What's up, Theo? Nothing, man. I'm just waiting for the uh, final week of the NFL regular season to finally start. Mm-hmm. It's been long, tumultuous process. COVID, for the most part, hasn't really affected it, but, you know, you never know. As we speak, Alvin Kamara has been placed on the COVID protocol list. Oh, my God. He's missing the final week and potentially the first week of the postseason. What a mess. After scoring six touchdowns against the Vikings the week before, eh? How up and down is that season? And that's the thing, right? Like, he really is the straw that makes the drink stir or whatever analogy Jerry Jones used for Ezekiel Elliott Mm -hmm. in terms of his effectiveness on New Orleans. Like... Without him, I don't know how far New Orleans can go into the playoffs. Yeah, well, considering that obviously they're trying to keep Michael Thomas healthy as well to go into the playoffs, and like Breeze has kind of been shaky a little bit. I don't know if some people say he might be losing it, losing the, his mojo or whatever. Uh, Alvin Kamara, I would say, is super important. Like you said, the straw that stirs the drink, right? I uh, poorly used that analogy, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as uh, no audible as uh, Jerry Jones is. Oh, that's fine. You know, we, we still love you, Theo. And also, the Giants still have a chance. They still have a shot of winning the NFC East as we speak. It's going to come down to a showdown versus the Dallas Cowboys in Week 17. Isn't it crazy that there is going to be a 10-win team not in the playoffs oh my this God. year? Yeah, and then all of a sudden... The winner of the NFC East is going to have a, a losing record. I mean, kind of unfair, but it is nice, you know, being a Giants fan, at least to have a chance of some playoff football, a chance to get absolutely wrecked in the first round by whoever we face. Exactly. Would you much rather have a garbage division or a division like the AFCs where the Patriots had dominated for 15 years? Right. And there was no potential for your Miami Dolphins to win that freaking division title yeah no i would definitely still rather be in the nfc east you know all things considered you know at least makes it exciting to the very end so hopefully you know they can pull it out and beat the cowboys it's weird to me that the eagles were the first ones that were eliminated to be honest but we'll see i think they still might bring it against washington you know jalen hurts has still got something to prove if he wants to keep that job but Anyway, I digress. In terms of where we were for the Giants history anyway, we had just finished telling you about the Miracle at the Meadowlands number two. We have a couple of seasons here where the Giants are competitive, however, not as good as they could be. And that kind of leads us up to the 2011 season. That's kind of the next moment that we'll be covering for you. Despite another turbulent end to a season, Tom Coughlin actually signed yet another one-year extension to stay with the Giants through 2011. GM Jerry Reese also had to deal with many key losses to the team as they looked to retool for another playoff run. Emerging wide receiver Steve Smith signed with the Philadelphia Eagles, and they were also without the services of Pro Bowl center Sean O'Hara, and they were also missing Barry Cofield, defensive tackle, and Kevin Boss, a tight end who had kind of taken over, filling the shocky role if you will, for the Giants. Eli Manning's play had also been characteristically up and down, and he had thrown 25 interceptions the year before. The Giants were in need of playmakers to emerge if they were going to have a chance at winning the Super Bowl again. 
Enter an undrafted free agent by the name of Victor Cruz. He had initially made a splash during the 2010 preseason by scoring three touchdowns against the New York Jets, but had missed his rookie season due to an injury. He was also from Patterson, New Jersey, which meant that he and Eli would work together, sharpening their skills in the offseason. And the void left by Steve Smith was primed to be filled by Cruz, who was another slot guy, slot receiver. As a nod to his Puerto Rican heritage, he started to salsa in the end zone when he would score a touchdown. And we'd be seeing a lot more of that during the season as Cruz would go on to break the Giants' rookie record for receiving yards in a season. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember much about Victor Cruz, Theo. He's a has his own place in Giants history, in my opinion. Sort of special because he came out of nowhere and then you thought, okay, maybe after one or two games, this was just, you know, lucky or he was just put in the right position. But then over the course of the season, he kept on salsa dancing, kept on salsa dancing. Yeah. This guy was legitimate. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I think the time that he spent with Eli definitely helped him out. In sort of, of like an Arian Foster ascension to fame. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Progressively just kept on getting into the end zone mm-hmm. where it was like you couldn't ignore that they were legitimate pro bowlers at that point. Being known for dominant pass rushers, the Giants had hoped that Justin Tuck would similarly fill the void left when Michael Strahan announced his retirement in 2007. Despite being slowed down by injuries, he was able to establish himself as a defensive leader for the team. The team had also been developing their first round pick from the prior year, Jason Pierre-Paul. He would be another great presence on the line, finishing his second year in the league with 16 and a half sacks. It was arguably JPP's greatest season in the league. After starting the season 6-2 and two yet again, Eli Manning led a comeback victory against the New England Patriots. Their season also included a tilt with the undefeated Green Bay Packers, who they similarly pushed to the brink and lost to by a score of 38-35. to 35. This was the same scoreline as their Week 17 loss to the Patriots in 2007 when they eventually triumphed over them in the Super Bowl. You know, if you're listening to this episode, you probably listened to the last one, so we dive into that a little bit more. This is like so character of the Giants in that era mm-hmm. where against great competition, to Tom Coughlin's credit, he always prepared them for bigger matchups. They would play exceptionally well you know what i mean yep. like 38 35 is no scoreline to scoff at you know mm-hmm. but it was always those other games you know versus the miami dolphins or versus <laughs> these lesser teams at that point in time they would always sort of cough up these losses mm-hmm. to everyone's surprise but yeah they would make things interesting for themselves let's put it that way i would say there was more of a playing to the level of competition for better or for worse i mean the next part of the script will tell you i mean after their fifth loss in six games the giants sat at seven and seven so they started at six and two ended up seven and seven and another loss would mean elimination from playoff contention and another year of being on the outside looking in. They needed to win out for the rest of the season to have a chance. The players were actually given poker chips as a symbol that they needed to go all in. Against the rival New York Jets, Victor Cruz would come back to haunt them again with a 99-yard touchdown. Ahmad Bradshaw also had a powerful run where he fully just trucks a guy and waltzes into the end zone. You'll see on the Giants' Instagram page, they posted, I think it was a Christmas Eve game, if I'm not mistaken, or close to Christmas anyway. They love to show those highlights, so... 
Ahmad Bradshaw, the unsung hero of that Giants era. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. We don't talk about Bradshaw as much as we do Tiki. I love the combination of him and Jacobs because me too. Under the radar, but just so much more effective. And the fact that Ahmad Bradshaw's a seventh round pick as well, who's made his way all the way to like playing meaningful time with the Giants and being such a great piece for them during those years, it was incredible to me. The Giants were surely motivated by Jets coach Rex Ryan saying that the Jets were the better team to the media. Darrell Rivas also said that he only knew Victor Cruz from the preseason before the game. They would go on to defeat the rival Dallas Cowboys 37-34 the following week, which included a 74-yard touchdown from Cruz and a game-ending sack of Tony Romo by Justin Tuck. This meant that the Giants were headed to the playoff once again with a 9-7 record they made the playoffs. And in brackets, I have the NFC East has been shit for a long time. <laughs> Even with the Eagles Super Bowl victory, at one point they were one of the more dominant teams, mm-hmm. but it was always like they weren't convincingly dominant that season. Carson Wentz goes down, they sort of eke in, and no one has them pegged to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, they were favorites until Carson Wentz went down, I guess you could say, but like the fact that Foles stepped in and made it all the way, I feel like, yeah, NFC East teams, especially in the 2000s, are known for getting hot at the right time and kind of winning it that way. First up in the playoffs were the Atlanta Falcons, who were shut down by the Giants' defense. Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw combined for 172 yards on the ground, along with Eli's three touchdown passes. The Giants won the game 24-2, meaning it was a shutout, and the defense for the Falcons was the only unit that was actually able to put up points for them on the day. Safety. Pretty much. I mean, you look at the Falcons, it was Matt Ryan was there. I think Julio was already there, right? Julio Jones? Uh, third year mm-hmm. and this was Julio's first year drafted because he got drafted in 2011 yeah. so this was around the time where the Falcons were top performers in the regular season but mm-hmm. they were still considered like pretty much playoff chokes yeah I mean I feel like that reputation has kind of continued over the years but it wasn't until the following season 2012 where they beat the Seahawks in the postseason where they actually right. started to make a bit of an impact ever yeah. since the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots they've just been a meme when yes. it comes to leading and then conceding afterwards. <laughs> yes, they have. So next up for the Giants was another trip to Lambeau Field to face Aaron Rodgers and the defending champion 15-1 and Green Bay Packers. Much like Plaxico in 2007, Hakeem Nix had a legendary performance in the game, scoring two touchdowns, including one on a Hail Mary toss from Eli to end the first half. The offense shined in the game, and they defeated the Packers by a score of 37-20. The Hail Mary toss was pretty symbolic of how things were going to go the Giants' way, I feel like. Hakeem Nix, I mean, always one of my personal favorites, kind of made a name for himself in that game as well. He was a freaking beast. I love to see that. Next up was a tilt with another old rival, the San Francisco 49ers. Jim Harbaugh was the coach, and their defense was considered to be one of the best in the league that season, led by the likes of Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. Victor Cruz had eight catches in the first half, and despite continued pressure from the Niners' front, Manning threw 58 times and did not have a turnover in the game. The game was another tightly contested affair, ultimately going to overtime. The Giants linebacker Jaquan Williams stripped the ball from Kyle Williams after a punt. Devin Thomas recovered to set up the Giants for a game-winning field goal. Much like in years prior, Lawrence Tynes stepped up and nailed the game-winning field goal to send the Giants back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I remember this game. It was pretty exciting because it was sort of like a resurgence for the 49ers. Mm -hmm. You know, Harbaugh comes in 
and changes the culture completely. Yeah. They have some pretty good stretches that year, ultimately lose to the Giants. And mm-hmm. then the following year, they end up going to the Super Bowl. That team wasn't a joke. And they played in San Francisco, which is a hostile environment come playoff time. Oh, yeah. So it was a pretty deserved victory. I would say, but it went to overtime and it was really just one mistake that was going to turn the tide in that game. You know, it could have so easily gone another way. Clearly, there was something, some clutch gene that Tom Coughlin was able to put into the team that... They're built that way, man. They're built that way. Exactly. Built different, as you would say. They would go on to face their old nemesis and Tom Brady and the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Thankfully for the Giants... Tom Brady's kryptonite is Eli Manning. To his credit, the game was another tightly contested one. Tom Brady had a Super Bowl record 16 straight completions in the game. This included a safety against Tom Brady for intentional grounding in the end zone. Victor Cruz had a two-yard touchdown as well. Brady almost had his own Eli moment when he broke free of a sack and bombed it downfield. However... This time, instead of being caught, it was intercepted by Chase Blackburn. A back-and-forth affair led to the Giants being down 17-15 to with 3 minutes and 46 seconds to go in the game. Eli and the Giants would move the ball methodically down the field, which included a great diving sideline grab by Mario Manningham to keep the drive alive. Can't have a Giants Super Bowl win without an iconic catch. The Giants had the ball in scoring range, and anticlimactically, the Patriots would let Ahmad Bradshaw fall right into the end zone in order to give Tom Brady 57 seconds to answer. Ultimately, the Giants' defense held up and Tom Brady's Hail Mary throw would fall to the ground and the Giants would be crowned Super Bowl champions once again. With that win, Tom Coughlin would tie Bill Parcells for playoff wins in Giants history. Watching footage of all the Giants players touching and kissing the trophy when it's being presented is very weird in the time of COVID as I was doing research for this. I was like, oh my God, don't touch no. it. Your mouths are all over that thing. Every time I watch a movie now, I'm instinctively, I'm, I'm asking, where's that guy's mask? Yeah. And just a building or any of that kind of stuff. And I feel like we've been conditioned now to always be hesitant with close contact. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm constantly struggling with. <laughs> it's so weird, man. It's such a, yeah, I don't know. Weird times. The champions of 2011-2012 were the Giants. And I have a quote here from Justin Tuck to say that we might not have been the most talented. We played teams that probably should have beat us, but none of that matters when everybody's on the same page. And we are living proof of that. I would certainly agree with that assessment from Justin Tuck. He was a big part, an instrumental part. He went from being kind of the understudy in 2007 to being the leader on that defensive line. And then JPP was kind of the understudy in his place. It's kind of interesting to see the succession of pass rushers there. Exactly. They always had a constant rotation and they always were filling in the gaps when one guy was towards the end of his career. Mm -hmm. That New England Patriots team was no joke. You had a young Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, right, Mm -hmm. alongside Julian Edelman. They were 13-3 and entering that season, and this was like prime Tom Brady where he's consistently throwing for stats at that point, you know what I mean? Post-2007 and into that stretch. I'd say 2010, he comes off of that MVP season, and I'd say that's arguably his best season ever because he only has four interceptions yeah no i would agree definitely i mean it was to the point where like you said tom brady was kind of carrying the team statistically and their offense was explosive their defense is always solid but again you know in close games 
as much as, you know, the season before, Eli throws 25 interceptions, and then this year that we're talking about, he, he leads his team to glory. You kind of take the good with the bad, and the whole roller coaster performances from Eli, I think, would kind of be a signature or theme of his career, to be quite honest with you, if you look at the statistics. These are the type of Super Bowl victories that capture greater audience. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people love to see greatness. They love to see dynasties and such, but this is the sort of thing where it's a great narrative, and it, it's a great story line for people to follow because they were down at one point they come back up and then they ultimately just eat their way into the playoffs and then do some damage right a big theme in sports is either to see the great players who they call the goats i guess like a michael jordan or lebron james or a tom brady add to their trophy collection or an underdog team who nobody really gave a chance to finally winning it all in the end Yeah, this is one of the more underdog stories in recent Super Bowl history. This can kind of lead us into the discussion of like, is Eli Manning considered to be an elite quarterback? I would side to say that he is an elite quarterback. Now, elite can mean anything you want it to mean. However, you're no ordinary sort of -of run-of-the-mill QB if you are able to lead two Super Bowl runs like this especially when no one gave you a shot. Here's the thing. I wouldn't put him in the elite category, but he definitely deserves to be in the clutch category because when you needed him in the right moments, he was there. To me, elite is more like consistent play throughout the season, right? Mm -hmm. Because as a Dolphins fan, I would say Dan Marino is elite, but he had never won a Super Bowl. Right. I wouldn't necessarily call Trent Dofer elite. (laughs) won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's a little better than Trent Dilfer. Give him more credit than that. I mean... (laughs) Eli Manning is definitely clutch. Do I consider him to be elite? Probably not because of the simple fact that he was always up and down throughout the regular season. If I could snapshot 2008 Eli Manning and like sort of transpose that to the rest of his career, then that's elite. You know, he's definitely had elite moments, just not necessarily an elite career. Yeah, I would say, you know, what I mentioned earlier, the sort of syndrome of the Giants of the late aughts, early tens was kind of playing to the level of their competition. And a lot of that had to do with a lot of inconsistencies. I mean, as much as Eli was even keeled personality wise, his play was pretty up and down. But I mean, I don't think you can argue that he deserves his place in history of the NFL. I personally would put him in the Hall of Fame. Me too. Even though like right now, There's an argument as to a lot of people that are already in the Hall of Fame, do they actually belong there? Or are we just placing them there because they've just been recognized and not necessarily because they're elite, right? Mm -hmm. You could subdivide the Hall of Fame. I know people have talked about that. But yeah, he definitely, based on the current criteria, I think he belongs there because you can't remember the game without thinking about Eli Manning and those giants. Definitely not. Definitely not. Now we're heading into the 2012 season in terms of our story. And Tom Coughlin, as we mentioned, had tied Bill Parcells for playoff wins in Giants history. I think this game helped to cement Eli's legacy as a Giants legend and an NFL legend. I think Hall of Famer is a fair name for Eli, I think, especially after this win. But yeah, so that was the story of the Giants' second Super Bowl win in, in five seasons. Tom Coughlin's obviously riding high. And just like the win in 2007, he was able to sign an extension with the team after being on the final year of his deal. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. That was the Super Bowl victory for the Giants. Do you have anything else to add, Theo? I think we've covered it all. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for listening to Checkdown Charlie's. As always, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and let us know if you have any comments or anything to say about the episode. Go Giants and thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to the Check Down Charlie's podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlie's on Twitter and at CheckDownCharlie's on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.